Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. In week one, if you're new this morning, we did an overview of what faith is like, the perspective of faith. In week two, we looked at Abel, and we learned that epic faith equals epic worship, that you and I, the condition, the quality of our faith is demonstrated, and I would say determined, by how we worship by the way we worship, the enthusiasm with which we worship, how you and I come into the presence of God has everything to do with what you and I receive from God. And now today we come to the third message, and the title is Epic Faith Pleases God. Let's read it, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Now, immediately, when you read those verses, if you're not familiar with the story of, of Enoch, and I think most people who have been in, in Christianity for a while might have heard of him. Very few pe people are familiar with him. So if you're new this morning or you've never heard of him, you're in good company. But when you read those verses, immediately there are some questions that come to your mind. Who was Enoch, and, and why would God take him, and what kind of taking are we talking about? And and. What about his life brought about God's commendation and caused God to be pleased with him? To answer those questions, we really need to go to Genesis chapter 5, because in Genesis 5 what you have is you have a genealogy. It starts with Adam and goes through Adam's son Seth, down through Noah, and it is the line of righteous men. Let's look at it, Genesis 5 and verse 18. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. And after he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived 962 years, and then he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Now, I'd like to make just four observations before we jump into looking at Enoch about what we have just read there. First of all, the first observation, people lived in that time for centuries rather than decades. You say, how is that possible? I mean, because when you read the genealogy, you'll find that Adam, the first man, lived 930 years. You'll find, you'll notice that we saw Jared, Enoch's father, lived 962 years. Methuselah lived 969 years. He lived longer than any man. How is that possible? 
Let me just say this. There are some things in Scripture we don't understand. By faith we accept them because once you start saying, well, that's not true, that's not true, you become like Thomas Jefferson who basically went through his New Testament, cut all the miracles out, and said, this is what I believe. And where do you stop? I mean, what we understand from Scripture and what some scientists would say, we understand that people lived a long time, and some scientists have speculated that it was due to several things. First of all, you had a more pure genetic pool, so you didn't have the diseases, you didn't have the deterioration. Things are not evolving up, they're devolving down. Second, prior to the flood, they speculate that, that the soil was much more vibrant, much more nutrient-rich. Consequently, the foods were different. They were better than what we would have today. Third, that there was a canopy of water vapor that shielded human beings and life from the harmful effects of ultraviolet light. I mean, we understand the harmful effects. You spend too much time in the sun, you come in looking like a Sharpay. I mean, it's, you know, you stay out of the sun. Otherwise, it creates wrinkles. It causes deterioration. Also, there were not any of the storms or weather-related disasters that we would have today because prior to the flood, it did not rain. Water, the Bible says, came up from the surface of the earth and watered the ground. And so it was a different planet altogether. And we'll talk about that next time. Second, Enoch is mentioned more than any other person in Genesis chapter 5, which is a very, very interesting um, thought. He's mentioned more than Adam, who was the first man. He's mentioned more than Noah, who is maybe one of the most notable personalities in the first uh, 10 chapters of Genesis. That tells us that Enoch was a very important person. He's mentioned five times in that chapter. So the highlight of Genesis chapter 5 is really Enoch. He is the focus. Third, Enoch was the seventh from Adam. It's the book of Jude in the New Testament that tells us that, but you can go through the genealogy and count it down from Adam to Enoch. There were seven generations. And that will tell us as we look at it in a few moments about the inability of people, of humankind, to live righteously. Because by the time of Enoch, seven generations in, things have gotten very bad. Fourth, Enoch is the only one in the entire list until you get to Noah who is said to walk with God. This is very, very interesting. So whatever walking with God is, and what we have in Genesis 5 is a list of the righteous line of men, starting with Seth, the son of Adam, whatever walking with God is, nobody is doing it until Enoch. And nobody does it again until Noah. So what does it mean to walk with God? What is it about Enoch that made God look at him and say, Enoch, I am so pleased and you're doing this by faith that I want you to come and be with me. 
With that in mind, what I'd like to do is I'd like to give us six ways epic faith pleases God. Six ways epic faith pleases God. First of all, epic faith walks with God. Look at it, Genesis chapter 5 and verse 21. Enoch had lived, when he lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And then in verse 22, Enoch walked with God 300 years. And altogether, he lives 365, and Enoch walked with God. When you go back to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5, it says, For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. So here he is, he's walking with God, he's pleasing God. Now, it's interesting, and you'll need to bear with me in this message because we're going to, if you're new, we're going to talk about some things that are a bit technical, but I think it will help you understand some things that are important. At the time of Jesus Christ, the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, um, you know, in the two centuries preceding Christ, the Old Testament was translated into Greek because Greek was the dominant language. After Alexander the Great, Greek became the dominant language. In the ancient world. So the Old Testament was translated into Greek, and it was that translation was called the Septuagint, just like we have the King James Version, the New International Version, the New Living Translation. There was the Septuagint. It's interesting, but the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, translates the phrase Enoch walked with God as Enoch pleased God. So you could say the two, the two phrases are interchangeable. When one is walking with God, they're pleasing God. When one is pleasing God, they are walking with God. Epic faith pleases God by walking in faith with God. There's a faith component that's a part of it. And Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says this, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Listen, for a person to say, I believe there is a God, is not enough. For a person to acknowledge the, the presence of God is not enough. What God is looking for is for people who have faith in Him, who have placed their faith in Him concerning their salvation, their, their need for something relative to their sin, to cover their sin, but then are walking with Him in a vibrant faith. Now look at this in Genesis 5 and verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. I want you to notice, for the first 65 years of his life, he's not walking with God. It's a very interesting thing. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God. You say, what in the world happened there? Well, he had children. That'll cause you to walk with God. <laughs> Take, your, take your, your relationship with God to a whole new level. <laughs> and I would say, on a serious note, we see a lot of people who they, they go to school, they go to university, or they get a job, and they're living the single life, and then they end up getting married, and they're still not really in church, and then all of a sudden they have a child, and now all of a sudden everything changes because they're saying, I want my child in church. And they begin to walk with God. There are many people at James River, and that's their story. 
So we certainly could say there's something about the responsibility that a parent has for another human being that I believe can become a spiritual turning point in their life. Some of you are at that point right now. And I would simply say by the Spirit of God that God is calling you to a new level of faithfulness to a new kind of walk with God. Something happens to Enoch and it changes him. I think it's more than having a child, though it can do that. But notice it says, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, that's a unique name. It is definitely not in the top 1,000 names people name their children. But he becomes the father of Methuselah. And what that name means, Methuselah means when he is dead, it will be sent. What you have is God comes to Enoch in some fashion. We don't have it recorded for us in Scripture. But God reveals himself to Enoch at the time of the baby's birth. And God says to Enoch, see that baby? When that baby dies... I will send judgment on the earth. And that so shook Enoch, the word from the Lord, the thought of the coming judgment, that Enoch from that point on begins walking with God. He has an encounter with God. And again, I would suggest that there are many here today and in your own faith journey, there was a moment when you encountered God. And from that moment on, you began to walk with God. For some of you, that day is today. You're encountering God right now. You are sensing the Lord stirring in your heart. Maybe it was this week. Maybe it was last week. Maybe it's been in the last month, but you've had some things happen. And God is speaking to you. And God is saying to you, listen, I want to do something in your life. I want to walk with you and I want you to walk with me. It's a life-changing moment. This is what happens with Enoch. And what's very interesting, Methuselah, when he is dead, it will be sent. What's interesting to note, just as a sideline, is he lives 969 years longer than any other human being. What does that tell us about the grace of God? That God is slow, that God is patient, that God is kind, that God is gracious, waiting to judge in his justice, he knows sin has to be judged. In his love, he doesn't want anyone to be there. He wants to give people time to what? Repent. I mean, look at it in 2 Peter 3. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Jesus is coming back. Judgment is coming again. That's the point of 2 Peter. So here is Enoch, and he starts walking with God. Now I want you to think about this, and again, the scripture doesn't say anything about this, but you have a man who now seven generations from Adam starts walking with God, and nobody's been walking with God. And you have to believe people probably said to him, hey, Enoch, you can't walk with God because, hey, Adam sinned, and, and remember, Adam walked with God in the garden. He and Eve, in the cool of the day, the Lord would walk with them. 
and now nobody's walking with God, and you, you have to believe there's something about it that, that people are saying, you know, Enoch, you can't do that. You say, why would you say that? Because I have people, I hear of people all the time who say, you can't, you can't really, God, get, God doesn't talk to you. Have you ever had talked to somebody like that? It's, it really is annoying. At this <laughs> point in my life, it's annoying. He does talk to people. I know he talks to people. He talks to me. He talks to you. He speaks to our heart. He speaks one way and now another. He speaks to a friend. He speaks to his word. He speaks to that still small voice. He, he, he puts thoughts in your mind. You, you wouldn't have any idea where they came from except they're him. And then when you act on them, you watch him do what only he can do. And isn't it interesting that people who don't believe God can talk to you are the ones who are telling, are telling you all the time God doesn't talk to you, but you know he talks to you, right? It's kind of like this. The people who say God doesn't do miracles spend a lot of time telling everybody God doesn't do miracles and then you watch him and you know he does miracles right so at some point you got to say listen whatever everybody else wants to say I know my God is real and I know my God speaks and I know my God works and I know that I'm walking with God and I'm talking with God and that I have a relationship with God Listen, this is a part of faith. Epic faith walks with God. Epic faith talks with God. Epic faith has a relationship with God. Epic faith understands there's a God who speaks. Psalm 25 in the message. I love, I love the verse. It says, God friendship is for God worshipers. They are the ones he confides in. Listen, when you're walking with God, God is going to tell you things you could not know on your own. It's part of that walk. Listen, as Enoch is walking, God is saying, hey, look, you see that son? Name him Methuselah because when he is dead, when he dies, the flood will start. And you can track out the genealogy, the numbers, and right at the time he dies, the flood hits. I mean, when you're walking with God, God is going, God is going to talk to you. He's going to tell you things. He's going to show you things. This is the value of epic faith. There's some of you and you're saying, I don't feel like God talks to me. Here's what I would say to that. Certainly, I think all of us can go through seasons. But if it's become a lifestyle or you've never encountered the Lord speaking to you, then something is lacking in your experience of God. Because he does talk. 300 times it says in the, in the NIV Bible, and the Lord said, God is a God who has a lot to say. He speaks to you. And part of the art of walking with God is cultivating an, a listening ear. And sometimes we have to lean into him. Sometimes God gives us a dream. Sometimes God, I mean, this last, a couple weeks ago I had a dream. Well, it was this last week I had a dream. And it was very vivid, very real. And I was like, well, I wonder what that means. Sorry for snapping my finger right in the mic. <laughs> woke some up okay so but I, I was trying to think what does that mean so Debbie gets up we're having a coffee I said hey I had a, I had a dream and I can remember it very vividly so I, I tell her the dream she instantly said this is what it means now I'm not saying Debbie's the, the dream interpreter but on on that time and I mean as soon as she said it I knew that is right 
God speaks in a variety of ways. He can speak that way. He can put something in your heart that you know, that you know, that you know. A lot of times people get hung up that unless it's an audible voice, then God hasn't spoken. That's not true. He speaks in a bunch of ways. But God speaks. And when we're walking with God, we have that relationship where we're hearing from God. Enoch has that kind of relationship. Let me add this, because I think this is really important. It wasn't any easier for Enoch to walk with God than it is for you to walk with God. In fact, I would venture to say his world was much, much more evil, and it was much more difficult to walk with the Lord. He doesn't have a Bible. He doesn't have the benefit that we have of, of the teaching and the gathering and the tradition of, of worshiping the Lord and, and having, uh, you know, knowledge from the Word of God. In fact, if you want to know what his life is like and what his days are like, Genesis chapter 6 tells us when men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive and they took, their, took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide with man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. It's not saying there that men, mankind, men and women, will live to be 120 what it's saying is God's going to judge at this point when this word happens. God is saying within 120 years, I'm going to judge humankind. Because everybody's, it, it, the, the evil is getting out of hand. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. And these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And the question immediately rises, and if you were with us for a couple years ago on our series on angels and demons, then you are familiar with this. Um, it's not often taught on because today, sadly, there are many people who are, who are afraid of what has been consistently for centuries, the interpretation of the Bible by the church, by teachers, by rabbis, going back to the time of Christ. That when you look at verse 1, when men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? That phrase is used three times in the Old Testament. Always it refers, three other times, always to angelic beings. So what you have is you have fallen angels who are attracted to human beings, women, and they are cohabiting with them and producing offspring. Just, just so you're aware of this, um, the oldest interpretations of the text, the traditional Jewish ones, the view of conservative rabbis and, and conservative Jewish scholars even today, people like Umberto Casuto, who is really the premier Jewish scholar on the Old Testament and especially on the book of Genesis, all agree that the sons of God refers to fallen angels. In Genesis 6-2, notice it says the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. So it appears there is some um, violating of the women. 
We don't know how many. There are extra biblical texts like the book of First Enoch, which while it can give you some insight, I would be careful about how much credence I would lend to it, though it gives us some thinking that was prominent around the time of Christ and in the early church because the, the book of First Enoch is quoted in the book of Jude. But according to the book of First Enoch, what happens is there are uh, 200 angels, evil angels, that come down and cohabit with women and produce uh, an incredible number of offspring. Some Jewish teaching and some Christian teaching, and I can't say I disagree with it, I just don't know, and where the Bible's silent, I think we have to be careful. But the thought is that there are evil angels and then there are evil spirits. And the evil spirits are the byproduct of this union between fallen angels and human beings. Consequently, they're constantly looking for a place to be embodied because when the Nephilim died, their spirit now is, is roaming the earth. Uh, whether that's true or not, I don't know. I'm just simply telling you this because this is, this is not um, only one person's opinion. So you have the sons of God, and they see the daughters of men are attractive. This is really shocking. What some people will say is they say, well, but now wait a minute, John, because uh, doesn't the Bible say in Matthew 22 and verse 30 that angels can't marry, nor are they given in marriage? It doesn't say they can't. It says they don't. And so there are two options. Either you have fallen angels inhabiting the body of human men and producing offspring, or you have fallen angels taking on human form in, as a male body and impregnating women. And it shouldn't surprise us that angels can appear as humans. I mean, Hebrews chapter 13 says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for some who have done this have entertained angels without knowing it. So be kind to strangers. You don't know. They could, be, they could be an angel that you're interacting with. Whichever way you go, what you have is you have fallen beings overstepping their bounds. And the New Testament comments on this. So, for example, in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the day of judgment. So there are some angelic beings that are chained right now in the abyss. They're kept in a, in a dungeon setting until the day of judgment. So the question arises, who are these angels and what did they do that would cause God to chain them? Because there's a lot of evil angels doing a lot of evil things, right? And they're still roaming around. Well, Jude, verse 6 says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. That's almost very similar to what we read in 2 Peter. In the next verse we read this, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. So whatever the angels did is like what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. 
What happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember two angels come down and they're with the Lord and they stop and they see Abraham and God says, listen, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's, it's gotten so great that I've sent these two angels to go down and check it out to see if it's as bad as I've heard. And if it is, then I'm going to destroy it, destroy the cities. And Abraham negotiates with the Lord out of mercy. This is a righteous person who cares about people. And he says, listen, God, what if there are 10 righteous people? Will you save the city for the sake of the 10? And God says, yes, I will. Which tells us again something about not only the grace of God, but the preserving effect that you and I have on the society in which we live. 10 people can keep a city from being destroyed. 10 righteous people. So remember the angels go into the city square. Typically they would be invited in. Lot sees them. He's then sitting in the gate. He invites them in to come and spend the night at his house. The men of the town gather and they say, bring the men out so that we can what? Have sex with them. What you have in Sodom and Gomorrah is human beings trying to engage angels in sex. What you have in Genesis 6 is angels engaging human beings in sex. That's the correlation there. You say, when did that happen? Well, we know in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 19, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, that it was during the time we're reading about from Enoch to Noah. Enoch lived in such an evil time. And what's the point of all this? He lived in such an evil time, it would make our day look like a Sunday school picnic. I mean, evil was rampant everywhere. People were being terrorized. In addition, you have the line of Cain, which is in Genesis chapter 4. And Cain, remember Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel. Then Seth was born, and Seth became, started the righteous line of man. And that goes all the way down to Jesus. And then there's the line of Cain. Cain, because he killed his brother, the mark was put on his forehead. He was driven from the presence of the Lord. But Cain, too, procreates and produces a line of men. Remember, Enoch is the seventh from Adam. We meet in Scripture the seventh from Adam via Cain. His name is Lamech. Look at this. This is the seventh from Adam. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah. So the first thing we see in the line of Cain is now we see polygamy. First time we, we get any insight into people who are not in the righteous line, there's polygamy, and we have to assume that very likely he has more than just Ada and Zilla. He has wives from A to Z. <laughs> it's a dad joke. Listen to me, wives of Lamech. Hear my words. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. 
In other words, he is evil Cain perfected. He is 11 times more evil. He is 11 times more proud. He is 11 times more wicked. He is 11 times more murderous. And here's what he's saying. I am, I'm a bad dude, and I dare God to do something about it. If you judge Cain, let's see God mess with me. That's what you have going on. Simultaneous to Enoch. Then as well, you take Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So that by the time you get down to the flood, and we're going to look at this next week, there are only eight righteous people on the earth at the time of the flood. I mean, can you imagine planet Earth populated and only eight people who are righteous? This is the time in which Enoch lives, and Enoch is walking with God, and he's pleasing God, and he's talking with God, and he's loving God, and this is an amazing, amazing individual. Number two, not only is epic faith walking with God, but epic faith pleases God by believing God exists. Now, now back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. So the question is immediately, well, boy, I would like to please God. How do I please God? Here it is. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you're going to please God, if you're going to walk with God, you have to be a person of faith. And the more faith you have, the more you please God. The more faith you have, the more, the stronger your faith. This is why epic faith is so important. The more faith you have, the more epic your faith is, the more your life will please God and the closer you'll be walking to God, right? What does it look like? What does what faith that pleases God look like? Here it is. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. In other words, you've moved beyond why, the, the question of, I wonder whether there's a God or not. At some point, you've got to decide either there is or there isn't. That is a volitional decision that you can make. You have to at some point say, I believe the Bible's true. Let God be true and every other person a liar. I believe that what it says about God is true, that he is a creator God, that the design of the creation tells me there's a designer, that God exists, that there is a being who spun the world into order, and not only that God exists, but that he is knowable. That I can walk close to him. That's implied because what we're talking, anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. What is it? This is an amplification of this. What is it talking about with Enoch? Enoch walks with a personal God, powerful enough to create the universe, personal enough to walk with Enoch, to know him, to talk to him, to have relationship with him. Listen, what this is telling us is if you and I want to walk in epic faith, there is a place in walking with God where you grow close and closer and closer and closer to him. God wants that for you. God desires that for every single one of us. It's not just enough to believe there's a God. You have to believe he is personal enough to walk close to you. Number three, epic faith believes it pays to serve God. Epic faith says, you know what? God is a rewarder of people. 
that God sees everything I've done. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10, he's not unjust. He'll remember everything you've done. He'll remember. In, in Galatians, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that will he also reap. That can be bad or that can be good. You sow good seed, you're going to reap a good harvest. Therefore, he says, don't give up. Don't become weary in doing good. For in due season, you will reap a reward. Look at it in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Because anyone who comes to him must believe. Not only that he exists, but he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That word reward could be translated remunerates. To pay somebody for work, for service, or for loss. When you're going to remunerate somebody, so you have the insurance company, they remunerate you because you experienced the loss. They make it up. Do you, know, do you know when you're serving God and you're walking with God, some of you, this, this should make you shout because you've experienced the loss. God can make that up. You're walking with him. God says, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to let them experience loss. Or some of you have gone through a season of loss. And God, look at the book of Job. You know, people at times are like, you know, I just don't think we should talk about all this. I don't know why. The Bible talks about it a lot. Yeah, yeah. Job lost, but in the end, he had twice as much. It's not that you're never going to have a hard time. It's not that there's never going to be difficult. It's just that God sees, God knows, and God honors people who honors them, and, and it pays to serve God. I'm just going to tell you it does. I've said before, and, and, and it's true, if I were not a believer, I would tithe. Because... God will not ever owe a man anything. He will not. God will always honor what you do. You hear testimony after testimony. I'm just telling you we do that because people struggle more than anything to believe that. It pays to serve God. You honor him, he'll honor you. You give him your time, he'll multiply it back to you. You give him your energy, he'll multiply it back to you. You give him your resource, he'll multiply it back to you. You give him your life, he'll multiply it back to you. Anything you give to God, God blesses. That's the idea. And anyone who's going to walk with God by faith, if you're going to have epic faith, you believe it pays to serve God. I'm going to tell you what, it would pay, let's put it in a practical sense, it would pay you to get in Grow Track. It would pay you to get in a life group. It would pay you to, to be at Wednesday night prayer meeting. It would pay you to give in the offering. It would pay you to give your life to make sure that God, you win all ties. I'm going to serve you with all of my heart because I'm telling you, he will open the windows of heaven in every dimension. Whatever you give to him, he's going to give back to you. He's going to multiply in your life. God rewards those who serve him. And if we had time, I'd walk you through a whole theology of rewards because it's all over the Bible. Number four, epic faith wholeheartedly follows God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must, one, believe that there is a God. He's a, not only a creator God, he's a personal God. You can walk with him. Number two, he rewards people. You, he remunerates you. He compensates you. He pays you. He takes care of you. He multiplies back to you. He will never owe a man or woman anything. And number, and, and number three, those who earnestly seek him. 
Listen, the problem for a lot of people is you're half-hearted in your service of God. I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you, when I have somebody who says, well, I haven't seen any of that stuff, and I don't know that, that's not been my experience. I never have God talk to me, and I never have this. And I, I'm like, okay, stop the music just for a moment. Are you wholeheartedly serving God with every ounce, every inch, every fiber of your being? I'm not asking if you're perfect. I'm asking, is, are, does God win every tie in your life? Are you, are you wholeheartedly looking to the Lord in every decision? Are you asking God when you lay your head down at night? Are you asking him, Lord, I pray tonight you would set your hand upon my heart and my mind that as I sleep, when I get up in the morning, I'm ready. And when you get up in the morning, are you saying, God, before I do anything, before my feet touch the ground, I am, I am needing your help. I'm asking you to go before me. Let me hear your voice. Let me see with your eyes. Let me, let me be led by you. God, I just want to walk close to you. Listen, the, the scripture says this, the eyes of the Lord range to and fro throughout the earth, seeking to strengthen the hearts of those who are what? Fully committed to him. I can't remember who it is. I, I think it's Oswald um, Sanders who says, every one of us can have as much of God as we want. How much do you want? This is not, it's, it's, there's not like a select club and only a select few get to join it because God says, well, I'll take her and I'll take him and her and him and her. And No, God is looking and God is saying, oh, there's a person who loves me. There's a family devoted to me. There's a family. Listen, God is looking. And when God sees that, God rewards, God speaks, God talks, God blesses. Epic faith wholeheartedly follows God. Are you wholeheartedly following? I, I can't think of anything that, that would be more beneficial than whether you're single and you go home and say, listen, I'm going to make, and, and let's start it this way, between now and Easter, pick a short season and say, you know, for the next, for the next, it's less than 30 days. But between now and Easter, I'm going to set my heart on seeking the Lord like I never have before. I can tell you this, in order to do that, you're going to have to get, get rid of a few things. Right. The problem with a lot of people is they're so full of everything else, they have no room for God. So maybe what you do is you say, I'm going to get rid of some of the things that are taking up. They're not bad things, they're just taking up too much time. They're just keeping me from walking with the Lord in a way that will draw me closer to the Lord and do it for a season and watch what happens and see what God does in your life. Number five, epic faith tells others about God. Enoch told people about the Lord. Because here's the way it works. When you, when you know how awesome God is, the closer you get to God, the more you know about God, the more you know God could help everybody, and God wants to help everybody, and everybody ought to know him. And you know how wonderful he is, and you care about people. You want people to go to heaven. You don't want them to go to hell. And, and all those things become a reality for you. So you tell people about God. And one of the things people need to know is there is not only a heaven, there is a hell. And that if you believe it, and I believe it to be completely true, we're living in the last days. The, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is extremely close. 
Some of you are saying, well, I, th I remember when I was little, they used to say that. Well, guess what? We're way closer than when you were little, because you are old. <laughs> close. <laughs> really close. Listen to this. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You know what's interesting? God had told him about the first worldwide judgment, and God said, guess what, Enoch? After that first worldwide judgment, there's going to be another worldwide judgment, and Enoch preached about it as well. He told people about Jesus. Let me ask you this. Who are you telling about Jesus? Maybe a better question is, who aren't you telling? Because why wouldn't you tell everybody? I mean, tell people about Jesus. Number six, epic faith expectantly watches for the rapture. Hebrews 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. That's amazing. He could not be found. You know what that tells you? People were looking for him. Like when Elijah was taken up into heaven, two people in the whole span of human history have not died. Elijah, the prophet, a chariot of fire came down and picked him up, and Elisha, his servant, saw it happen. And then people said, we need to go look for Elijah. Maybe he's somewhere. And Elisha's like, no, he's, he's in heaven. And they're like, no, let us go look. And so they go look for three days. They come back and say, we couldn't find him. And uh, Elisha's like, this is going to be a long ministry, but I told you not to do it. With Enoch, we assume the same thing happens. He, he could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Look at it again. By faith, Enoch was taken. God had taken him. For before he was taken, that word taken could be translated as transported, transferred, translated. So you could read it this way. If you go back to Hebrews 11, verse 5, by faith, Enoch was transported from this life. He did not experience death because he could not be found because God had translated him away. For before he was transferred, he was commended as one who pleased God. Here's, here's the point of that. First of all, people can walk with God. Yeah. Number two, God loves to walk with people. He, he wants to walk with you. He wants relationship with you. God wants to make your life so rich with his presence that, that you see him working all the time in a thousand ways in your life. That is not something that's reserved for a select few. It's God's heart for everyone. And there's some of you today, and you're living with a whole lot less of God's presence on your life, in your home, at your business, or in your heart than God would desire for you. I don't say it to be mean or judgmental. I say it because there's so much more for you. But you're never going to experience it unless you want it. 
You're never going to have that unless you reach out for it, unless you take the steps. If you're going to walk with God, you've got to start walking with God. You know, go for a walk. Only go with God. Practice his presence. Think of his presence. Walk in his presence. Sing, pray, listen. Think about what you read. Think about God, what should you do? When you encounter a difficulty, before you, before you respond to it, pull back and say, God, help me with this. I know you've got a perspective on this. Give it to me because I need it. I'm human. I, I can't understand how to process it any will. I mean, a third thing about this whole thing is that there's coming a day, Enoch's a picture of believers, because there's coming a day when Jesus is going to come and catch us away. It's called the rapture of the church. It'll happen before he comes to judge the world. And it's all over scripture. First Thessalonians chapter four, Paul says this, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. In other words, he's going to come down. He's going to take the righteous out of the earth. He's going to resurrect the bodies of the righteous dead. Their spirits are already in heaven. We're all going to be up in heaven and he's going to pour out his fury and wrath and judgment on the earth and you don't want to be there but the only way you're going to be raptured is if you're right with the Lord Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 12 listen to this you also must be ready because the son of man will come in an hour when you do not expect him he is coming soon are you ready if the Lord comes back this afternoon are you going or are you staying do you know you're right with God? Do you know that you're a child of God? Do you know that you've given your heart to the Lord? Jesus closes the book of Revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, and the final revelation of him is this. In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 12, Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. He says, I'm at the beginning and I'm at the end and I'm everywhere in between. You can't spell anything in life without me. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is coming. And the question is, are you ready? So there's two categories of people, and we'll close here. There's some of you, and you know the Lord. You're just not walking very close to the Lord. And I, for the life of me, can't understand why you would not want to walk as close as you possibly can. Because I'm telling you, he's more wonderful than you can possibly imagine. And then there's others, and you're not only not walking close to him, you're not walking with him at all. And he's coming soon, and there's judgment coming on the earth. And if you don't know him, and you've not started walking with him, you will face the fury and the wrath of God like you never imagined it. First, on planet earth, and second, in an eternity in hell. 
And God sent you here today or had you watching online today because God wants you to be ready. He's warning you. He's speaking to you. This is a Methuselah and Enoch moment where God is saying to you, listen, I'm sending judgment. It changed Enoch's life. The question is, will it change yours?